We were just wondering what wrong you feel that Hollywood's committed by making this film. They've offended millions of Christians all over the world. Millions. Mm -hmm. And they're going to burn in hell unless they repent. And God is going to damn this country and damn this building and damn all rebels who reject his word and his son's death on the cross. Anybody who mocks the crucifixion will burn in hell. While cinema can get away with depicting a lot more on screen today than in its humble beginnings, there are some subjects that are still ripe for controversy. Probably the biggest one is religion. God help you, so to speak, if you make a religious-based film that isn't 100% true to its sacred texts, or worse, one that might cast a critical eye on a church's dogma. As many a filmmaker has learned the hard way that when you do, there's usually, well, hell to pay. On today's episode of Slums of Film History, we'll discuss the films that were condemned, protested, banned, and even destroyed by church groups who felt these movies were nothing less than an affront to the Almighty. Join us today as we commit blasphemy. of Film History, a lowbrow look into the high art of cinema. Every episode is an in-depth look into a niche topic of film that is normally not discussed in polite company. I'm Slate. And I'm Tom. And each week, one of us researches our respective topic, writes an episode, and then schools the other. We discuss everything from murderous gays, to evil Santas, to horny nuns. If there's a film subject too taboo, we haven't found it yet. Welcome. Hey, Slate. Hi, Tom. How's it going? Good. How are you? Oh, I'm great. I'm great. Well, maybe a little bit less than great. I'm sure you can tell that I'm getting over a cold. Yeah, you're a little stuffy. A little stuffy. And actually, this happened to me when we did season two. I did toxic waste and you sounded uh, head trauma. And you, I was fucking terrible. I was like, was he sounds terrible. Should I tell him? And I didn't. But yeah, you I, sounded really shitty. Yeah, like that's yeah, your thing. Yeah, yeah. that's me. <laughs> so what do you got to put out? So let's talk about some corrections and additions from last season. Sounds good. First one comes from Corey, and that was around your super happy episode on Rape Revenge. Oh yeah, my feel good episode. Yes. Rape Revenge. Yeah, that Lovely. was a very lighthearted affair. So Corey sent us an email and reminded us that I didn't include Teeth, yeah, the movie Teeth. teeth. And Rape Revenge. And you know, I had that in my notes, and I don't know why I left it I out. just slipped out, I guess. That's funny. Yeah, I just forgot about it. I mean, it's a great movie, too. I know you've seen it. Yeah, now, For loved, those who I haven't seen teeth. teeth, it's about this girl, you know, she's a virgin or whatever. She goes to get an exam, and she finds out she has teeth in her vagina. Yep. Vagina dentata, I guess is the... Yeah, vagina dentata. After that, everybody she meets basically tries to rape her, and yeah. then her vagina bites her dick off right and she kind of becomes like a avenger like a fighter for good using her teeth vagina on yeah. people so yeah she's like a vigilante 
I don't know why I didn't include that. I think I got fixated on the standard plot of these rape revenge movies, like I Spit on Your Grave and the ones mm-hmm. that kind of copy that. And I totally forgot Teeth, and I yeah. feel bad about that. Thanks, Corey. Yeah, thanks, Corey. On my episode, Terrible Twins, we get an email from Sarah who said that I forgot to mention that in the movie Big Business featuring Lily Tomlin oh, and Ben Midler, where, that were the twins, the, the Hick twins and then the City twins, that they were both named Rose and Sadie, both sets of twins, because in the hospital mix-up, the rich family named them Rose and Sadie, and then the poor family were like, hi, that sounds pretty. We'll also name our daughters Rose and Sadie. So, of course, Jesus. once they get into the the same location, the, the Plaza Hotel, everyone just keeps calling them Rose and Sadie, which are their names, and so that's how they manage Wackiness to kick, ensues. kick that whole plot forward. Right. Uh, they all have the same name, so yeah. that was an important plot point that I missed. Yeah, well, thanks. Our listener, Stephen, brought up on your episode in Insane Asylums, you missed two movies. The first was Bedlam from 1946. So we actually talked about Bedlam. It was in the episode originally. I had researched it, and we had a discussion on it, but I, the discussion wasn't that great. I, mm-hmm. We didn't focus that much on it, and I wasn't really happy with it, and I cut it for time. But yeah, yeah. Bedlam is kind of important, because it was one of the first Insane Asylum movies, and I feel maybe I should have re-attacked that and put it back in there, but I cut it out. So. Yeah. We frequently cut things for time, so. He yeah. also mentioned 1972 movie Asylum. Yeah, I don't know much about that. I think that was somewhere lost in my notes, but I had a bunch of other movies I just picked and chose, yeah, and that sure. was one Good that follows. Good. Well, yeah. thanks, uh, Stephen, for bringing those Yeah, thanks. Up. We also had from listener Alex a comment about cuddly critters that kill the movie White Dog. Yeah, so White Dog is about this racist-ass dog and somebody's trying to deprogram, I think Christy McNichols in this movie, and yeah. she has a, she's trying to deprogram White Dog, and Burl Ives is in this movie too. Sounds, I can't believe you missed this. this I, I know, I really feel bad that bonkers. I didn't. I know, yeah. and it's really bonkers. There's a, it's on Criterion. Yeah. Like it's been released on Criterion. And I don't know why I didn't include it. I think I read it, you know, and I had all the other movies. And White Dog is not cuddly. If you see a picture of this dog, it's just, it's a white dog, but he's just, he's unpleasant. I and love so, that you, that that's your criteria. You're like, fuck that dog. I was like, it's fuck that cu- dog. Fuck that racist dog. Yeah. And so I, I didn't include White Dog. <laughs> it's a great excuse. Just yeah, kidding. It's terrible. One. I know. All right. Do you have anything else? Nope, that's down? it. All right. Well, those are kind of just skimming off the top of a couple of uh, comments that we got. Yeah, thanks also, for the input. Yeah, we have a lot of topics that people suggested too. We'll talk about that, I don't know, maybe next episode or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, everyone. Always send us corrections. If we miss something, let us know. Oh, wait a minute. You had one more. I, think, I had one more. So Chris actually sent us one. Our last episode was Attack of the Transplants. And he wrote me that the first transplant film is actually The Thieving Hand from 1908. It's a six-minute Vitagraph short where a one-armed bum goes to an arm store. They give him a new arm and it turns him into a thief. <laughs> wow. He wrote, it's a bunch of fun. That sounds great, actually. Well, it actually does that sound pretty out. great. Cool. Yeah, I'd like to go to the arm store. Great. So I had one job, which was to come up with the first Attack of the Transplants movie, and I did it wrong. Yeah, we, we've all been there. Great. So... The Thieving Hand from 1908. Yeah, cool. thanks. Thanks, Chris. Oh, before I forget, this is actually a listener-suggested topic. Oh, it was, yeah. Yeah, Marlis, Marlis suggested right. it. Yeah, listener Marlis suggested this topic a few seasons ago, I think. Yeah, it's been a little while. Yeah, so thanks, Marlis. Yeah. Hopefully I do this justice and you enjoy it. So I'm thanks sure she will. All right, on to the episode. Yep. To start off, I'm going to set some ground rules in speaking on my blasphemy topic here. Because first of all, I'm going to be focusing on films that cause an uproar in the U.S. and to some extent the U.K., but mostly the U.S. for religious reasons, specifically Christianity-oriented, you know? Yeah, worst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sort of ignoring the rest of the world because there's a bunch of other countries that 
claim movies are blasphemous for different reasons and different religions. It would just get unwieldy and right, sure, yeah. So yeah, there's it. countries where everything is blasphemous, right? So I just was like, no, fuck all that. So I'm also focusing on movies that deal with a religious topic, you know, that deal with Jesus or something with the church specifically, and not just something that the church was like, oh, this is sick and morally wrong because it's got nudity or whatever. Right, I sure, do like, talk about some of that, but I'm focusing more on religious type of sure movies. That's what blasphemy is. So that right. makes sense. Yes, it does make sense. Same. And on that note, I'm going to give you a few definitions to kind of tie all this together. Okay. So the first thing I want to define is the word sacrilege, mm-hmm. which is defined as the violation or injurious treatment of a sacred object or person. This can take the form of irreverence to sacred persons, places, or things. Okay. When the sacrilegious offense is verbal, mm-hmm. that's blasphemy. Oh. And to add to that, blasphemy is the act of insulting or showing contempt or lack of reverence to a deity, to religious or holy persons or sacred things, or towards something considered sacred or inviolable. Is injurious a word? I don't know. I feel like that's a sacrilege that they turned the word injury into <laughs> well done. a word. Well done. Yeah, Thanks. I agree with that. Doing great. It's because of my how religious I am that I know all these I was, things. Jesus can't, but served you well. Yeah. So I define both sacrilege and blasphemy because in a lot of these movies are actually accused of both. But I just decided to combine everything under the topic of blasphemy. Makes sense. So just it's all one thing to me. All right, so let's get going now that I got through that. Okay, so I'm going to go back into history. I tried to find the first film that was accused of blasphemy, or at least the first film that was considered offensive to religious folks, and the first one I could find was an 1896 short film, The Kiss. Mm-hmm. The Kiss is an 18-second long depiction of a reenactment of a kiss between two actors, May Irwin and John Rice, and it was one of the first films ever shown commercially to the public. And fun fact, it was produced by Edison Studios, the first movie studio in the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, the one that created that cat boxing. That's right. I remember Thomas Edison made a viral video and that's all he was famous that's for. That's it. Yeah. But yeah. he was also a pornographer because yeah. the kiss was considered to be pornography at the time. It was. Yeah. It was really risky. It's disgusting. Just dirty. Filthy. Filthy. Filth. Ruining our children. There wasn't even any tongue in it. No, 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 no. It's, it's nothing. Yeah. You know, but apparently Filth. this... Yeah, there's nothing but filth. But apparently this movie was pretty provocative at the time. Turned out it was denounced as shocking, obscene, and it caused the Roman Catholic Church to call for censorship and moral reform. Because kissing in public at the time could lead to prosecution. Like, mm-hmm. PDAs could get you thrown in jail. Oh, fucking ridiculous. Yeah. So it wasn't considered blasphemous. It was just merely immoral and would contribute to the moral decline of of course of people. And to them, that's a slippery slope that will lead you to religious decline as well, right? Mm-hmm. Religion loves slippery slopes, (laughs) Yes, yes, they do. So let me back up a second, though, and kind of set the stage for the religious makeup of the U.S. at the time, around the turn of the century. I have stats from 1906. So only 41% of people were part of a religious affiliation. 41%. Doesn't seem like that much. Yeah, I I feel like everybody went to church back then. They probably did, but I think a lot of times, you got to remember, you know, people usually went to whatever church was close to them. Mm Mm-hmm. If you were in a rural area, whoever the preacher came to preach, you just went to that church. So I think a lot of people didn't really have denominations, but there is a bit of a breakdown. You know, there's Methodist was 5%. Southern Baptist, I think it was like 2.2%. We're the worst. Your people. Catholic was 13%. Also bad. Yeah. Jewish was 2%. That's probably a little better. Mormon was 0.2%. Worst. And other Protestant was 17%. Yeah, also bad. Yeah. Basically, I think they're all terrible, except the Jews. I like the Jews. I I have no follow-up for that. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing to say after that. So around that time period, like I said, 1906, I gave you the stats. I also want to give you a few touchstones in history that kind of show these groups 
and sort of the power that they wielded and how movie history is affected by them. Sure. The first one I want to talk about is in 1909, the National Board of Censorship representing mainstream Protestantism is created after complaints about indecent films causes movie theaters in New York to close. Mm -hmm. By the 1920s, more Protestant critics of movies are calling for federal regulation of the industry, which is the beginning of the cry for censorship, which led to the Hays Code. I'll talk about that in a second. In 1914, the Women's Christian Temperance Union, which in 1906 condemned the influence of movies on the health, well-being, and morals of impressionable youth. Of course, it's always about the children. Yeah, you know, they begin to lobby aggressively for government regulation of films. The WCTU claims that films are addictive, that they glorify war and violence, and that they cause crime, delinquency, and immoral behavior. A little history on them, too. The WCTU were founded in Cleveland, Ohio, and they sort of grew out of the Women's Crusade, which were basically a, a group that was against alcohol and drugs. Ugh. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah. No thanks, ladies. And in 1915, a landmark court case, we've talked about this before, Mutual Film Corporation versus Industrial Commission of Ohio, the Supreme Court holds that movies are not protected by the First Amendment. The ruling allows state and local boards to continue censoring films. In 1922, the Motion Picture Producers and Distributors of America, the MPPDA, later become the MPAA, mm-hmm. is formed and is led by Hayes. In 1930, of course, the Hayes Code comes into effect and it lays down specific rules of what you can and can't do. We've talked about this. The one that really pertain to this topic are number five under profanity. I've talked about profanity before, but they say things you can't say, which are considered blasphemous or unless it's done in reverence are God, Lord, Jesus Christ, God, goddamn. God meaning G-A-W-D. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever the fuck that is. I guess that was big at the time. And then in section eight, it says under religion, no film or episode may throw ridicule on any religious faith. Ministers of religion in their character as ministers of religion should not be used as comic characters or as villains. Mm -hmm. And ceremonies of any definite religion should be carefully and respectfully handled. And that's under the sacrilege. Censorship, man. Yeah. So that's the Hays Code. But here's the thing. And you know this. We talked about this. From about 1930 to 1934, no one gave a shit. No one gave two shits about the Hays Code. No one followed it. No. It was like stupid. Yeah. They didn't give a fuck because there was no enforcement of it. Right. Until this happened. In 1933, the Catholic Legion of Decency was formed. That sounds like a shitty superhero group. Yeah. Thanks, Catholics. Yeah. Worst. (laughs) So the Catholic Legion of Decency was found in 1933. They were like, what can we ruin? A lot, apparently. And they were dedicated to identifying and combating objectionable content in motion pictures from a point of view of the American Catholic Church. And it's to be noted, this is an American Catholic organization, and we'll talk about that. After receiving a stamp of approval from secular offices behind Hollywood's production code, films during this time period were then submitted to the National Legion of Decency to be reviewed prior to their official duplication and distribution to the public. And of course, an estimate 10 million Catholics signed a pledge to refrain from viewing objectionable material. And you got to remember, the Catholic Church really had a, a lot of power over people. Yeah. You know, if the Catholic Church says you can't do anything, as a Catholic, you're supposed to... You're like, to, oh, we can't do that now. Right. Yeah. And so other religions, just especially Southern Baptists, they'd be like, don't do this, and then we just would do it they, anyway. Yeah, they'd be like, oh, we won't, and then they do it. And they do it anyway. And then, then talk shit like, about other people doing it. And then be like, bless your heart. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. So, but the Catholics didn't do that shit. And they had their own rating system. So the Catholic movie rating system went A- morally unobjectionable mm-hmm. B morally objectionable in part and C condemned by the Legion of Decency B and C became O after a while to be uh, morally objectionable mm-hmm. just combined them but I want to talk about some movies that they condemned in their heyday sure. now, these aren't necessarily considered blasphemous 
but I had to talk about these because they're they're very interesting. First one was Damaged Goods from 1937. Sure, we talked about that. Which is a VD film about venereal diseases. And the next one was Wages of Sin from 1938, and it's about prostitution and white slavery. Mm-hmm. We've talked about that before, and that was a hot topic at the time. 1939's Reefer Madness, uh-huh. self-explanatory. Yep. 1943's Child Bride. Oh, Child Bride. Yeah, yeah I talked about that in... Um, yeah, Hixploitation. Hixploitation, right. 1945 film called Mom and Dad, another film from the makers of Child Bride. And the film includes graphic images of the female anatomy and footage of live births. Yeah, educational film that everybody right. wanted to see because you could see a vagina. And yeah, there are medical films used for exploitation, but still, it's a VD film. 1947's Black Narcissus is a psychological drama about the emotional tensions of jealousy of lust within a convent of nuns in the Himalayas. Yeah. So that Classic. was kind of... But they were like, no. But the league was able to get scenes edited out of the U.S. version of this film. And the scene that they got edited out was this nun was flashbacking to a time when she wasn't a nun. Mm-hmm. And I'll come back to Black Narcissus when we get further down the road, but it's important while it's noted here. God Created Women, starring Bridget Bardot. I love that movie. Condemned. Valley of the Dolls was condemned by them. I, mean, I, get, I get that, I guess. Yeah, Barbarella, The Good and Bad and the Ugly, and of course, Rosemary's Baby, just to name a few. Uh-huh. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah. But again, these films weren't necessarily called blasphemous. The very first one I could find where the Catholic League said that this was a sacrilegious slash blasphemous film was The Miracle from 1948. Hmm. So this is an Italian film, and it's about a poor, mentally unstable woman in a small village. One day she is tending her goats, and she comes upon a stranger who she believes is St. Joseph. He drugs her with wine and then molests her. It's nice. When she comes out of her stupor, she declares she made ecstatic love to St. Joseph and now bears a child. Uh-huh, okay. Whom she names the Blessed One. She believes that she's the Virgin Mary. The villagers laugh and jeer at her and make fun of her. Anyway, she runs away. I don't know. That's it, really. Okay. She has her kid, and I guess it's great. Needless to say, this film started a shitstorm in the right. States. Even though the Vatican didn't really seem to have an issue with it when it was released in Italy, it's an Italian film. When it came to the States, it was like, holy fucking shit. And a lot of this played out in New York, where the Legion was trying to work with the courts to have this banned in the state. We've talked about this before with movies. States could have their own rules on right, films. Sure. Even counties and cities could say, oh, this is not, this is against our morals and not show it. The miracle was a big clusterfuck because some places allowed it to be shown, others didn't. Mm-hmm. It was in court, argued under New York's sacrilege law. And it got to be such a big fucking thing that eventually went to the Supreme Court. And this is the movie that caused the ruling for films to be protected under the First Amendment. As they should be. Also, the courts ruled that the New York State statute on sacrilege was too broad and could be used to be valid. Yeah, sure. like, fuck that. There's a quote from one of the Supreme Court justices that says, it was not the duty of the government to protect religions from things they might find offensive. Yeah, good. Much I agree, and and all of our listeners agree as well, I'm sure. Everyone. (laughs) Everyone. Interesting thing happened to the Legion of Decency around this time frame. They sort of imploded somewhat. Once films were protected under First Amendment, a lot of people are like, we don't give a shit what the Legion of Decency has to say. Yeah. They, they changed their name, so they're still around. They were the Legion of Decency from the 60s and 70s, but around the late 70s, they changed their name to the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops Office for Film and Broadcasting. That's a long-ass thing. But they're still around, and I'll talk about They come back up. Okay. But now let's talk about some movies. It's been a while. Yeah. So the next film I want to talk about is Rosemary's Baby, which got an O, or got a C at the time, but an O, morally objectionable, mm-hmm. from the League. I can't find instances where there were protests for this movie. You know, I know it was controversial, but it's considered a classic. Got rave reviews. I figure you might have something to add on this, but I really couldn't find anywhere where people were outraged enough to call it blasphemous, necessarily. I mean, there was a certain degree of outrage, I think. 
I'm not sure how organized it was, whether people were at protests. But when I was doing my episode on William Castle, of course, who produced Rosemary's Baby, he talked about it kind of affected him, you know, the fact that like people thought that what he had done was very morally objectable. He basically made like kids horror movies, you right. know, and so the fact that he had really upset people and kind of like, am I being cursed in some way? Like right. it didn't go unnoticed by him that he had kind of made something that maybe had really offended some people and might send him to hell. So huh. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's all I really have about this. Mm-hmm. But it did help start that trend of the 70s. And we talked about this before of these movies that dealt more and more with satanic subject matter uh-huh. and religious subject matter. So it was on the cusp of that, I think, and helped start that trend. So the next movie I want to talk about, and this is one I'm excited about to really discuss, is The Devils from 1971. And it's directed by Ken Russell, and it stars Oliver Reed and Vanessa Redgrave. And it's a historical account about the rise and fall of Urbane Grandeur. He's a 17th century Catholic priest. He was executed for witchcraft. Mm-hmm. As you can imagine, it caused an uproar. First of all, the film faced harsh reaction from national film rating system because it was disturbingly violent, very sexual, had some disturbing religious content, and originally received an X rating both in the U.S. and in the U.K. Oh, wow. The Catholic Church freaked the fuck out over this movie, and, and in various other countries, it was confiscated, shown heavily edited. In Italy, it caused such a stir that actors Oliver Reed and Vanessa Red grave were accused of public defamation of a national religion and were prohibited from entering the country for three years wow they're png say get the fuck out you can't come here jeez what year was this 1971 huh the film had plenty of violence and nudity as i said but there were two major scenes that called the most trouble both of which were removed from the film for many years one of the scene showed a nun sister masturbating with a charred femur bone that was from the priest that oliver reed's priest mm-hmm. she's masturbating with his charred femur it's hot yeah it's pretty hot the second one one, though, is a two and a half minute sequence of naked nuns sexually assaulting a statue of Jesus. How can you assault a statue? They took it down and they are rubbing up all on it and basically trying to fuck the statue of Jesus. Okay, I wouldn't call nuns. that assault. I mean, it's assault <laughs> if it's a human being, but it's a I know, statue. But like, it's assaulting the statue a symbolic. Can't be like, I was assaulted. Yeah. But I use the term assault because to the church, they're assaulting a religious representation. She just howny for it. <laughs> yeah. I knew we were going this way. I knew we were going this route. And to be honest, that scene is pretty fucking freaky. It's pretty crazy. You can find it online. I'll Mm -hmm. try to put it on the site. It is something. It's pretty impressive and bad taste, I guess you could say. Critics also seem to hate this film and gave it really scathing reviews. One reviewer said it's a grand fiesta for sadists and perverts, which to me, that's like an endorsement. Mm-hmm. If we, yeah, somebody totally. told me this was that type of movie, I'd go and see it. Yeah, me too. It's most known for, and its biggest contribution to the world is that it's the beginning of what is known as nunsploitation. Nunsploitation. I keep talking about doing an episode on that, but... So this was originally going to be the nunsploitation episode... Mm-hmm. And honestly, there's not enough for it to be considered. It's a lot topic. of foreign films. It's a lot of like Italian films yeah. of non-exploitation. Yeah, there's not 15 great American examples of no, it. So it's really mostly isn't. foreign films. Mostly foreign films. Let me break it down though, too, so I can kind of tell people what non-exploitation is. So non-exploitation movies generally kind of follow the same theme most of the time. They're of course foreign films, but they usually involve Christian nuns living in convents during the Middle Ages. The main conflict of the story is usually of a religious or sexual nature, such as 
practices religious oppression or sexual suppression um, due to living in celibacy. And then the Inquisition sometimes shows up and, you know, there's like lesbianism, yeah. you know. There's a lot of whacking A lot of this off. stuff. Yeah, yeah. A lot of whacking off. Yeah. Essentially, these are really just like a religious women in prison film. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, sure, a, sure. you know, the, you switch the prison to a convent, the inmates to nuns, and then like the wardens are usually is, like the evil is, mother superior. Yeah, or just God. Or yeah. God. Yeah. God usually will be mean to him. But I, I want to go and just kind of give a list of some of these is because some of these are great. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one called The Nun and the Devil from 1973. Flavia the Heretic from 1974. School of the Holy Beast. That's a Japanese one. That's from 1974. Mm. Uh, there's one called The Cloistered Nun. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. also Japan. Love Letters of a Portuguese Nun from West Germany. And then Sister Emmanuel. And I want to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's part of the Black Emmanuel series where this woman, I guess she's like a photographer or something, and she has all these sexual adventures. Yeah, it was like Emmanuel movies basically like ran Cinemax like yeah. back in the 80s and early 90s. Just every night we would turn it on and see your scrambled Cinemax channel with Emmanuel sequels. Yeah, but this one, she's trying to like denounce her like sexual past and so she becomes a nun and shit happens. I think she again gets laid because that's what these movies are about. Uh-huh, sure. But this reminded me, you know, I was hoping so hard that there would be a nunsploitation Ilsa movie. Mm-hmm. After I read this one, because it would be perfect. Would I feel like it's a missed so opportunity. Sense, yeah. Like Ilsa, the evil mother superior, you know, because if, it would just be a perfect Ilsa movie, but they've had a missed opportunity. Yeah. Damn. But there's an Emmanuel one. Then there's Killer Nun about a nun with a brain tumor who goes crazy and starts killing people. Right. And that one's considered a video nasty. And this one I had to mention is called Last House on the Beach. Which, when everybody stole Just the title, that title off, from yeah. Last House on the Left. And this one is interesting because it combines nunsploitation subgenre with rape revenge. It's sort of like Last House on the Left with nuns, uh-huh, sure. essentially. And it's argued that the final scene of the movie is inspired by the final scene in uh, Tarantino's Death Proof, you know, when they beat the guy to death. Mm-hmm. Supposedly that was taken from Last House on the Beach. What does the beach have to do with this? Don't you think this should be like Last House next to the convent or Last Convent on the, on the left? Just yeah. It kind of I, feels like a little bit of a missed opportunity here. Yeah. Like, what does the beach have to do with rape, revenge, nuns? Like, I have no idea. Yeah. Okay. So that's all I really have to say about nunsploitation. There were foreign films. They were shown in like Grand House theaters and stuff here, but they just weren't a thing in America. And so they stayed kind of below the radar of like the Catholic League of Dipshits or whatever. Sure. So, but the next movie we want to talk about did garner some controversy, and that would be The Exorcist from 1973. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's a great movie. We've talked about it plenty of times. But right off the bat, when it received an R rating, the United States Catholic Conference, as I told you about before, the former League of Decency, were challenging the MPA rating. Yeah, I mean, that kind of makes sense. Like, if you're going to rate a movie at X, it would probably be The Exorcist. Right. That was very shocking at the time. Yeah, no, it was. And it was condemned with a C rating, of course, from the the League of Dipshits. I mean, because you've got Linda Blair masturbating with a crucifix and saying... Your mother mother sucks cocks in hell. hell. So, understandable. But overall, the Catholic Church didn't really have a big problem with this movie. It's kind of a religious movie. Well, yeah, it it is. Friedman did his homework. He actually based it on real Catholic Church-acknowledged exorcisms. Right, sure. And it's one of those few pictures where the priests are the heroes. Yeah, yeah. You know, they they saved her. Mm -hmm. So, the Catholic Church didn't have a problem with that. You know, it's a fucked up movie. It's considered the scariest movie of all time. And it is disturbing, still disturbing. But they didn't consider it blasphemous because of that. However, there was some fallout. Yeah, sure. One of the big ones was Linda Blair actually got hate mail and death threats because they were saying she was glorifying Satan. Mm-hmm. She's like fucking 11, 12 yeah. in this movie. And there, people are threatening a fucking little girl mm-hmm. who was in a movie. Mm-hmm. 
In so, the name of religion. In the name of, yeah, religion. Cool, brah. And it got so bad that Warner Brothers had to hire bodyguards to protect her six months after the film was released, up yep. to six months afterward. Evangelist Billy Graham, may he rest in peace, he just died. <laughs> I saw the look on your face. It was right. funny. Nothing um, nice to say. About I know. Him. I mean, either. But he thought the movie was satanic. Oh, that's interesting. And Billy Graham actu- thought the movie The Exorcist was satanic. Isn't that crazy? And he said an actual demon lived inside the celluloid reels of this film. Oh, that's a quote Christ. from him. So, yeah, that guy was a nut. And because of the success of The Exorcist and many new films are being made on the subject of the devil and evil right now. A pastor who saw one of these films said recently it was obnoxious, repulsive, disgusting, pornographic, and obscene. I myself have not seen any of these films. I do not intend to expose myself to this type of thing. Next movie I want to just talk about real quickly is The Omen. There's not much to talk about The Omen. Anyone who's seen that, it's about Damien, and he's the son of Satan, and whatever. It's an okay movie. has a good beheading scene. I talk about that in Head Trauma. The uh, Omen's a good movie. Yeah, it's it's a fine film. The USCC, the Catholic people condemned it, of course, but it wasn't really considered blasphemous. It really was just a movie that was riding the wave of satanic films at the time. No big deal. But the next movie I want to talk about is the one of two most protested blasphemous films of all time. Can you guess the first one? Is it from the 80s? No. Then no. It's Monty Python's Life of Brian. Oh, really? Yeah, also known huh. as Life of Brian. I never would have guessed that. Yeah. It's a 1979 British religious satire done by the Monty Python group. Mm-hmm. You know, it's classic. And it's the story of a young Jewish man who's born on the same day next door to Jesus Christ. Actually, that's the first gag in the movie. The three wise men go to the wrong stable. Mm-hmm. And they're, they grab all their gifts back and go to the one where Jesus was born. And... He's, his life sort of parallels Jesus. He's mistaken for a messiah. And of course, he gets crucified at the end. And it's a, it's a huge satire. But it's satire is a lot more than just blind religion. Everyone knows the glorious story of the child born in a faraway manger. Well, this isn't that story. This is Monty Python's all-new Life of Brian. He wasn't the messiah. He was a very naughty boy. Have you seen Life of Brian? I mean, a long time ago. You're not a British humor guy. I'm really not. Saint really I does don't not. find it funny at all, especially when people try to like imitate it. You know, I find it so annoying. One of my friends went to go do that dead parrot scene and was like, t- and I was just like, please just stop talking. Like, I'm going <laughs> to find that so annoying. That's fair. Mm-hmm. It's not everybody's cup of tea. No, sure. I mean, I get it. Like as humor, I mean, it's a classic, right. but it's just not really my thing. This movie follows along with kind of how they do their other movies, which they'll take a period of time in history, mm-hmm. and then they'll just, like, infuse modern British mannerisms into it. Sure. To where it becomes ridiculous. And annoying. And in some ways annoying. Sometimes it's it's actually pretty funny, but annoying to slate. Let's get on with the controversy. So it was released in the States first because the Pythons knew of the blasphemy laws in the UK. So they were sort of testing it in US markets first, mm-hmm. where there was no legal recourse for the movie. Right. It still drew protests, though. Oh, Interesting enough, too, though, and let me back up. Catholic groups weren't the first people to protest. It was actually a, a rabbi group that hated this film. Because there's a scene, a stoning scene with, you know, Jews that were stoning somebody who were saying the name of God. And it was, it's a ridiculous scene, mm-hmm. like everything in this movie. But it, it pissed off some rabbis, apparently. Yeah. So when it was finally released in the UK, it was either banned or given an X rating anywhere that it was shown. Mm-hmm. But it couldn't be proven that it was blasphemous in the blasphemous laws because they clearly showed a depiction of Jesus and they didn't 
alter it in any way. There's like a scene where Jesus is speaking on the mountaintop and he's speaking religious text. But of course, Brian and everybody else is in the back of the crowd, you know, like, speak up, we can't hear you, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever. And that's the joke they can't hear and they keep getting it wrong, what they think he's saying. Uh So that's the only time you see Jesus besides when you see him as a child in the manger next door. Right. They didn't fuck with Jesus. They didn't fuck with Jesus. They played their jokes around. But they played with the time period and they played around with blind religious following. Right. So the movie is more of a, a satire on that. Jesus just happened to be in there. So because they did have a depiction of Jesus and weren't saying that Brian was their Jesus stand-in, it wasn't convicted under any blasphemous laws. Sure. But other countries in Europe banned it, like Norway banned it, and so they actually added that to the advertisement. They're like, a movie so funny, it was banned in Norway. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Which is pretty great. I love it when they do that. Yeah, when it's like, rated X by an all-white jury. Yeah, I know, it's awesome. And of course, the Pythons got hate mail after that. So in response to that, they actually released like an open letter to their protesters, and I'm going to read that. It says... Dear blank, whoever you may be, thank you for your letter regarding the film Money Python's Life of Brian. Whilst we understand your concern, we would like to correct some misconceptions you may have about the film, which may be since you have not had the chance to see it before forming your views. The film is set in biblical times, but is not about Jesus. It is a comedy, but we would like to think that it does have serious attitudes and certain things to say about human nature. It does not ridicule Christ, nor does it show Christ in any way that could offend anyone, nor is belief in God or Christ a subject dealt with in the film. We are aware that certain organizations have been circulating misinformation on these points and are sorry that you've been misled. We hope you all go see the film yourself and come to your own conclusions about its virtues and defects. In any case, we hope you find it funny. Best wishes, Monty Python. Mm -hmm. So they still took a high road. Yeah, sure. But they were also kind of like, you didn't see the movie. And that's a theme that's going to follow through the rest of this episode. All these people bitching about shit didn't see the movie. And they all use the same fucking excuse, which is, I don't have to see pornography to know that it's bad. (laughs) I know it when I see it. Right. And it's like, but you didn't see you it. You didn't see it. Right. So, and you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah. We'll see plenty more of that. So, fun fact, on April 30th, 2004, Life of Brian was re-released on five North American screens to cash in, quote unquote, on the release of Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ. Mm-hmm. Sure. Now we're getting to the big one. Mm-hmm. Now we're getting to the main clusterfuck holy shit movie. The Last Temptation of Christ. The Last Temptation of Christ from 1988. Been waiting the whole episode to say that. I, I know, I know you did and you're absolutely correct. So this is a film that was directed by Martin Scorsese. It's adapted from the novel of the same name. It's a 1955 novel. And it stars Willem Dafoe. And it's got a lot of people in here. Willem Dafoe, mm-hmm. Harvey Keitel, Barbara Hershey, Harry Dean Stanton, and David Bowie. Yep. Isn't that? So yeah. And like the novel, the film depicts the life of Jesus Christ and his struggle with various forms of temptation, including fear, doubt, depression, and lust. Mm-hmm. And of course, this results in the book and the film of him imagining himself engaged in sexual activities, which of course... Everybody, religious groups yeah. the fuck out. God forbid that Jesus, a human being, had right. any type of sex. It's right, the exactly. worst possible thing that you could have done. Yeah, Terrible. Right. I mean, the film even has, at the beginning, a disclaimer that says, this is not based on the Gospels. This is based on a fucking novel. Right. You know, but of course, the people didn't see the, the movie. They just heard about it and started bitching about it. And, you know, as far as protests, this is the silent night, deadly night of Jesus films. <laughs> <laughs> because, holy shit, it was crazy. It was such a big deal. Just to give you an idea, supposedly, and I've, I've found varying degrees of fact on this. So, different sources have different numbers, but I'm going to try to piece it together as best I can. But on the 11th of August, 1988, it was released around that time period. Some 25,000 people supposedly showed up at Universal Studios lot, which financed the film, to protest the movie. So it was sponsored by like a radio station and some TV stations, and it was a huge turnout. And policemen were out there. It wasn't violent, so Mm -hmm. it wasn't like people trashed the studio, but Uh there was like a lot of motherfuckers out there. 
One thing that started happening, though, in this protest and other ones, is that there started being a lot of anti-Semitism in these protests. That's because like the weird thing that like starts to happen. When Christians get together, it's like... That starts to creep out. And you're like, wait, wait, what? Wait, what? what? Well, yeah, and that's what happened here. While the protests were going on, there was somebody enacting, nailing Jesus to the cross. Mm-hmm. But they were acting like the studio head of Universal, who's Jewish. Ah, uh, yeah. And Don't it was a... Yeah, it was, luck, it was fucked luck. up. So there was a lot of Jewish producers of this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure somebody said, you know, 20 pieces of silver or whatever. Oh, Gibson showed up. Yeah, what, yeah, pretty much. That was a big piece of it. And then an evangelist named Bill Bright offered to buy the film's negative from Universal in order to destroy it, mm-hmm. which they were like, yeah, fuck you. Yeah. It also turned out that Christian groups were successful in convincing several theater chains to refuse to carry this movie. One that was called General Cinemas decided against showing the movie after company executives personally screened it. They actually later apologized to Scorsese for this. Oh, really? Yeah, they're yeah. like, sorry, we're they're dicks like, about we this. They kind of gotten the witch But on do you him. remember this? No, not at all. You don't remember any of this? What was it, 87? 88. So we were probably you two. I was Yeah. I've seen the movie since then. I saw it when I... I've only seen it one time I saw it in college. Yeah. But yeah, it's just like... The thing is, you know, it shows Jesus as a man, Mm -hmm. but it's not bad. There's one scene when he's on the cross and he sort of visions his life as a normal man getting married, having kids, you know, having sex. And then he rejects all that anyway and is martyred. So it doesn't go against anything. They're just saying that... He was tempted, but it's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. But what they don't realize is when you do this shit, when you start jumping on like movies like this, all you do is make people want to see it. Yeah, totally. Like once a controversy, you know, it starts to happen. It's just like people are like, they want to see what the controversy is all about. Last Temptation of Christ is not a great movie. It's not a good movie. And it's not a terrible movie, but it's not a great one. And it probably would have just come and gone. Yeah. It would have gotten its O rating from the Catholic League or whatever and just come and gone. And no one would have thought the wiser to spend another mid-tier Scorsese film. Instead, when they push this, now everybody's like, what am I missing? Right. And then like going to go see it becomes kind of like a rite of passage that you you want to be a part of. And then it just sparks the fury even more. And that's kind of what happened. It started feeding more protests. And it kind of came to a head at one point in October of 1988 when a Catholic group set fire to St. Michael's cinema in Paris mm-hmm. while it was showing the film. Somebody put like an incendiary device under a seat and it lit the place on fire. <laughs> it injured 13 people four of whom were severely burned. I love a good religious terrorist attack. It's just like, cool, right. cool guys. And on top of that, the Archbishop of Paris of course uh, condemned the film without seeing it, which mm-hmm. is what everybody right. does. Sure, sure. But he also condemned the attack saying that people who did that are enemies of Christ. So I mean, at least he's basically like everyone's wrong but me. Right. right. That's pretty much exactly what happened. So, even though The Last Temptation of Christ was talked about everywhere at the time and was very controversial, it really didn't do that well in theaters. Yeah, yeah. It grossed only like $8 million and the, the cost was like $7 million. So, it really didn't do much right, sure. to turn a profit. Total to date, I think it's only made roughly $9 million. Mm-hmm. So, it's not much. Well, people don't want to go to the movies to see Jesus. Right. That's what you go to church for. <laughs> Fun fact, Peter Gabriel did the soundtrack, and it's fucking awesome. It is a good soundtrack. It's a really good soundtrack, so you don't really need to see the movie, but the soundtrack's pretty good. So the next movie we want to talk about is Priest from 1994. You and I saw this together. Together, I think, yeah. And 
It's about a gay priest. Mm-hmm. It really wasn't all that. No, I kept waiting for something shocking to happen. Yeah, it was condemned. People hated that movie. It really wasn't a good movie, so. No, it wasn't. I mean, I meant they hated it because they hadn't seen it. But right, they, yeah. They know blasphemy when they see it, but right. they just didn't see it. Right, exactly. They didn't see the movie. But if they had, it'd be like, this movie's not really good anyway. Yeah. But I think the biggest controversy was it was released on Easter weekend uh-huh. in 94. Which so kind of cool. Yeah. That's, that's pretty kind of cool. So that's all I got to say about Priest. It was really a forgettable movie but it did have a gay priest and people were pissy about it mm-hmm. but my next movie i want to talk about is dogma from 1999 mm-hmm. directed by kevin smith it's one of his view askew movies whatever it's got jay and silent bob in it mm-hmm. matt damon and ben affleck are in it they play angels that fell from heaven and they're on earth it's, you know it's a comedy it's one of his comedies that are hit or miss yeah. it really wasn't that great of a movie but it, the theater it's it was it's okay. fine it was fine it was a fine <laughs> film it was perfectly fine oh and it had alanis morissette as god as god yeah, so that was just kind of that was good yeah, casting was cool. i think but of course, it got accused of blasphemy by the Catholic yeah, League, they and were it, really big on that. They're really pissed off about that one. You know, the movie was actually protested in New Jersey, near where Kevin Smith lived. Mm-hmm. So he and a friend went and made signs and showed up to the protest. Yeah, and they were like protesting his That's movie cool. with them, and the news people showed up, and he got on the news, and they kind of recognized him, but he's like, "I'm not him." Yeah. That's great. Organizers in Eatontown had hoped for hundreds to join them in the protest against the movie Dogma. Instead, they got less than two dozen. But they were joined by this man. He wouldn't admit it, but he looked and sounded suspiciously like Dogma's writer, director, co-star, and New Jersey resident, Kevin Smith. I don't think it stands for, uh, for anything positive. What does it stand for? I don't know, but I've been told not good. They even asked him, hey, have, have you seen any of Kevin Smith's movies? And he's like, yeah, I don't really like them, except Clerks. Clerks is good. <laughs> that was his reply. So yeah. I've got to give the guy credit. You know, you can think what you want about him as a filmmaker, but that was pretty That's fucking great. baller to yeah. show up at your own protest. So Dogma, I don't have much to say about it. It's not his best movie. It's okay. It's fine. Yeah. It's forgettable. Next thing I want to talk about, a very, very brief word on Harry Potter. As a thing in the late 90s, Harry Potter was a big deal as a book. You know, before the movies even came out, the books were protested. Some religious groups were saying, you know, it promotes witchcraft. And of course, they never read the fucking books. Mm-hmm. There were some schools that wouldn't have them in the school because people were protesting it or whatever. And I think there was a bunch of book burnings on it, <laughs> supposedly. Oh, I love a were, good old-fashioned book yeah, burning. because nobody learned anything from the Nazis yeah, on right. that, you know. There's an article in Christianity Today, I know your favorite publication. Mm-hmm, I love that. Comparing Harry Potter to rat poison mixed with orange soda and it said we're taking something deadly from our world and turning it into what some are calling merely a literary device it's a children's book it's, it's a fine. fucking kid's book it's totally fine and it's there's totally no fine. slippery slope here yeah it's a children's book it's right. fine and that's all i'm gonna say about harry potter yeah. it was protested off and on that's the most ridiculous thing ever i agree and it's such a juggernaut and the movies were so big that yeah your protest is a little too late anyway you're no being ridiculous yeah next movie passion of the christ hmm? of course that's mel gibson's jesus yeah. snuff film <laughs> I don't really need to say anything else about that, do I? For those who haven't seen it, it took place a few days or a week or whatever when uh, Jesus was about to be crucified. And they beat the shit out of him and whip him. And and yeah, it's a Jesus snuff film. I didn't mind it. It's not that bad. Um, I mean, it's really not that bad. It's like, Mel Mel Gibson's a monster, but... (laughs) 
I didn't really mind the movie. I mean, if you want to go see Jesus Christ getting beat the fuck up, then that's the movie for you. And yeah. I was kind of like, all right, I'm kind of in the mood for this. Like, smack him around a little bit. And a lot of people did. Like, this yeah. movie made $612 million. Oh, a huge blockbuster. The ninth highest grossing film domestically. I think it's still the highest grossing R-rated film Yeah, I, ever. Think, I think it is too. But it's a snuff film. Somebody dubbed it, I forgot what the reviewer's name was, as the Jesus Chainsaw Massacre. I love it. Which is I great. I was kind of like, all right. But the thing about this movie, and for those of you who may remember it, like church groups would get like buses and go fucking see this yeah. movie. You know, several times. Mm-hmm. Like, the old church ladies were watching like, the Jesus Christ snuff like, film. Like, spitting teeth out off, off the cross right. and stuff. And yeah, like, it's dis- movie's disgusting. It, it's pretty disgusting. I mean, it's I mean that's fucking, why I liked it. Like, yeah. it was, like, super violent and, like, really, like, harsh. And they were, like, beating up Jesus. And I was like, this movie's not bad. Right. <laughs> the problem is, is that this movie was considered very anti-Semitic. That's why I'm embarrassed to say that I enjoyed the <laughs> Passion of the Christ. Yeah, yeah. And there's some merit to that i mean they're kind of mel gibson is a monster he's a monster but also the movie portrays jews very negatively it's not polite to jews right that's that is a flaw of the film i mean it almost equates them to the romans that are actually beating them Mm -hmm. and it's it's pretty fucked up i agree that's all i really have to say about Mm -hmm. passion of the christ but it was considered anti-semitic and it was a huge money maker and part two is going to be coming out. I'm not making that up. I thought you were just making it. No, there, there's a sequel. Is Jim Caviezel going to be Jesus? Jesus 2, Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, I think he's going to be in it. Oh, really? As Jesus. I'm not going to go see it this time. Is this a Mel Gibson film? Yes. I'm not going to go see it again. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to move on. Da Vinci Code from 2006. This was a huge fucking phenomenon all across the yeah, board. Yeah, book, movie, the book, Tom Hanks. You know, and it's a character that's in several books. But this book was about this big conspiracy where it turned out that the Holy Grail was really Jesus' bloodline. He actually married Mary Magdalene and they had a daughter and a whole bloodline. And I guess Tom Hanks finds a distant relative of Jesus, mm-hmm. supposedly. So it's a big thing. Dan Brown's a shitty writer. Uh-huh. I really? tried to read this book and it's I like this guy's a shitty writer. I just saw the movie and was kind of like interesting premise and just didn't really care that much about the movie. Right. There were some protesters at several movie theaters when this came out and protesters also showed up at a special screening of the film the day before its widespread release. Protests also occurred at the filming sites but only one monk and one nun stood in quiet protest at Cannes. Uh-huh. They okay. just sat there. Yeah, and they were like, hmm. they're like, eh, this sucks. Yeah. The novel sold more than 40 million copies and the movie debuted to a barrage of hype, but does the big screen version of The Da Vinci Code measure up? Like the novel, the movie has generated intense controversy. In fact, the Catholic Church has even called on Catholics around the world to boycott it. And those who attended opening night at this new market theater were met by some peaceful protesters. Thomas Ng is among the group outside the theater offering to help moviegoers separate fact from fiction. Ng has not read the novel and is not planning to buy a ticket to see the movie, but he says he has read the Bible. The Dan Brown thing has been beat to death, so to speak, kind of like Jesus was in um, Passion of Christ. Mm -hmm. But it's a thing. People still are pissed off about it. I just wanted to mention it. And then the last thing I'm going to talk about is a movie called The Golden Compass, and it's based on a series of books. Mm -hmm. And the reason this thing was all like controversial and considered like a big deal is because these books are very anti-religious, supposedly. I've never read them. I don't know shit about them. I tried to find out about them. Essentially, the synopsis is in this parallel universe, this young girl journeys to the far north to save her best friend from terrible experiments by a mysterious religious organization. So there's a religious organization that's like the bad guys in 
this series. And, you know, it, it's very pro-atheist, supposedly, which, who gives a shit? People protested it. And when the movie came out, the Catholic League, gotta love them, called for a protest of the film, of course, and said you shouldn't go see it, and that it promotes atheism in children. The League hopes that the film would fail to meet box office expectations, which actually it did. Mm-hmm. Roger Ebert, even there's a quote from him, he said, any bad buzz on a family film can be mortal, and that seems to have been the case this time. So the bad press it got for a kid's film was bad enough that it pretty much helped kill this franchise. It just didn't make it enough money. It probably wasn't that good either. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it didn't help that there's a mediocre film that people are saying don't go see. And that's all I'm really talking about for, like, overall movies. I know there's a lot there, but it's always interesting to see how these religious groups treat these movies and how they're considered blasphemous or whatever. I've got some honorable mentions I'm just going to touch on real quick. There's a Hamlet 2 where they had that, that movie that was trying to be controversial oh, yeah. where they had the song Rock, Rock Me, Me Sexy, Sexy Jesus, Jesus. Right. but that was a forgettable thing. Yeah. And one last thing, we talked about nunsploitation in this episode. So there's actually, in modern day, there's some references to nunsploitation that's around even now. For instance, like in the Robert Rodriguez movie Machete from 2010, Lindsay Lohan portrays a gun-toting nun. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. And then as recently as last year, there's a movie called The Little Hours, and it's a medieval comedy film loosely based on the Decameron. Oh, yeah. And it's got Aubrey Plaza and Alison Brie in it, and they're like cussing nuns, and they're they're whatever, doing comedy shit, but it's sort of a loose nunsploitation sort of homage. Mm -hmm. So it's nice to know that's still kind of around, but it's such a bizarre subgenre that just doesn't... Yeah. It's so underground, so it's nice that somebody's still referencing it. So that's the end of this episode. That's kind of where I killed this off. I, like I said, I know I talk about a lot of movies, but what I found interesting about these movies and about this whole idea of protesting of a film that has religious themes to it. First of all, the movies I mentioned, especially the ones that were protested the most, which were Life of Brian and Last Temptation of Christ, were movies that were not anti-Jesus at right, all. Right. They had other things to talk about and maybe some you know certain religious criticisms overall, but they weren't anti-Christian movies. Right. And even Last Temptation of Christ, which was a passion project, no pun intended, by Scorsese. He really, like, believed in this movie, and he was approaching it from what he thought was a religious place, Right, and he was as flabbergasted as anybody that it got so much protest, but these people are so... Yeah, they just can't. They can't can't imagine anything that isn't exactly the way that their idea of religion works. Right. But what this says to me, and how I'm going to try to tie it all back together, even from the very beginning of film where people were protesting that, is what these religious groups are ultimately saying is is that there's power to cinema. And I think what they're also saying, whether they realize it or not, is that their fear is that it's more powerful than their religious doctrine. Right, sure. It's an interesting concept to me that if you're secure in your beliefs, why are you so focused on condemning something that, first of all, you don't understand because you didn't even see it, but second, if you're firm in your beliefs, it doesn't matter what anybody else says about them, right? Any questions? That's it. I have a couple of additions. Okay. So Multiple Maniacs, the John Waters movie, I will be talking about it in my upcoming episode on John Waters, but in the movie, Divine gets uh, a crucifix stuffed in her by uh, Mick Stoll, <laughs> and she like uh, stuffs a crucifix in her. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, in a church that was actually filmed in a church, John wow. Waters went and asked. That is quite blasphemous. Uh, and then in the movie Sana Sangra, the mother of the lead character is has like this like religious organization or whatever, and a priest comes to like look, and he's just like, this is blasphemy, like you're, oh, this yeah. is like a religious cult, and they like bulldoze the church, and then yeah, she yeah. gets her arms cut off. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I love that movie. Those were just a couple of things that I thought were super blasphemous. And then, I mean, those were actual blasphemous things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, no, they are. Those are things that you're like, okay, well, yeah, Ming's still stuffing a crucifix in uh, in Divine's pussy. I mean, she's a man, but okay. If someone was like, that's blasphemous, you'd be like, that's correct. Yes, that yeah, is quite that blasphemous. Is, that yeah. is blasphemous. But no, thanks for that. that uh-huh. really just a couple of additions there. No, that's great. i give you, wet your whistle a little bit for uh, the John Waters episode that's yeah, coming up. Yeah, I think up. I'm excited about that. Yep. No, that's a good point. And I just want to point out before we end this, this whole time, I actually didn't blaspheme at all. Uh-huh. God damn it. I did it a little bit. Did you? I don't know. Oh, either <laughs> way. Well, there you go. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone. And don't forget, your mother sucks cocks in hell. Thanks for listening to Slums of Film History. You can find us on the web at slumsoffilmhistory.com where you can find links to some of the movies we talked about today, along with pictures, videos, and additional resources. As well as Sunday Slum Day, our weekly recommendation for the best and sometimes worst films every Sunday night. If you want to keep up with us, we're on Facebook and Twitter where we share out a lot of additional content. And as always, please fact check us and let us know if we left anything out. We're not professionals, just two friends that love gross movies. <laughs> <laughs>